I love the interaction. Kind of like a black revival here going, it's great. Yeah. Guess what? Tomorrow. Anybody know what tomorrow is? April 28th. Anybody know what April 28th is? It's National Kiss Your Mate Day. (laughs) So all you wives, block your ears for a minute. I want to talk just to the men. Men, I want you to practice up today a little bit, okay, so that you do your best job tomorrow as you kiss your mate and renew your covenant of marriage with one another. I hope and I pray that April 28th is not the only day you do it. (laughs) Lena and Sven were having trouble in their marriage relationship, and so they went to the marriage therapist, and uh, Lena explained to the therapist, you know, uh, he, he, he doesn't seem to love me, and so on. And the therapist looked towards uh, uh, Len, and he said, oh, oh, when we got married, I told you I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) That doesn't work in relationships. How are you doing at your love dare challenge? My prayer is that each one of us will take serious this challenge. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, we've been in this love dare series kind of talking about the different aspects of love as we read about them in God's Word. And we had an insert for a couple of weeks, but there are some more out on the table. There are a purple sheet that you can get a hold of. And um, to take the challenge of where would you like God to stimulate some growth in your walk with Him and in how you love Him. So I'm going to ask you from time to time, how are you doing with your love dare challenge? And something should come to your mind. You might remember it by the five G's, to uh, go, which means to uh, call from here to there, or grapple is a call from denial to honesty. And by the way, Daniel plan is a chance for you to practice that one following, they're having their rally following our services today. Or to give, it's a call from hoarding to trusting and being generous. Or glorify is a call from self to our God. Or finally, to gather, a call from isolation into community, to be with one another as the family of God. So for the past few weeks, we've been soaking in the scriptures around the theme of love. The Bible has a lot to say about it. We've just begun to sample it. We've looked into love's definition We've looked into loving one another and loving our neighbor as ourselves. We've looked into loving the world. Last week, we looked at the greatest love, God's love for us, for each and every single one of you and for me. Today, we explore the source, the object of our love, the creature loving the creator. And we're going to go back to the love book. And anybody remember what the love book is? No, not Song of Solomon. Let's get that one out of the way. I heard somebody say it, First John, okay? First John, kind of the love book. Uh, and so we're going to be looking at that today. John is writing to a group of churches because some in the churches were creating some, well, problems, some difficulties. And they were saying, well, Jesus wasn't really human. Divine, yes. Human, hmm, not so much. And the implication of this view was that if Jesus Christ wasn't fully human, then he didn't really die on the cross and experience that death, and he wasn't really raised from the dead, what we call Easter or resurrection. And as you know, those are two rather important beliefs and tenets that we have as Christians and that we believe is supported in scriptures. John is writing to correct this heresy. 
but also to promote love and unity in the church because the church conflicts that happen oftentimes can be very, very painful and can hurt people. This letter is approximately three pages long, depending on on your Bible, Uh, but in some form of the word love appears over 43 times, depending on which translation you've got. 43 times in that little book of three pages long. You see, John, the author of 1 John, does not want us to miss the point, miss the one thing, and that is an understanding of love. Let's pray as we open ourselves to God's teaching this morning. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts truly be acceptable, acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer, for Jesus' sake, amen. I want to introduce you to a few Hebrew words this morning that will help you kind of get a handle on what's going on in our text. The first word is the Shema. The Shema was among Jews and is among Jews the highest priority, the one thing. And that comes out of the text found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And basically, Shema means to hear, to hear, to listen. Shema Israel, Yah Adonai, Elohim Adonai Achad, which translated means, Hear, O Israel. Hear, O creatures of God. The Lord is one. The creed of the first monotheistic faith a few thousand years ago. They were in a culture, surrounded by cultures all around them that were multi-theistic. They believed in many gods, gods for every occasion and for every object and for every reason. The Jews, the Israelites, and God's pact with them was that they were to be monotheistic, that they believed in one God, one Lord, one God over all. And so Jews felt one God It was important to love him. And the Shema was there in Deuteronomy 6 also where it says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And that was the Shema to the Jew. That was very, very important. But let me read a couple more verses out of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy beginning at verse 6. These commandments I give you today and they are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. What he was saying here is that we are to take and to share this faith. And the first place we share it is with our children, with our little boys and little girls, our sons and our daughters, that they might know, that they might grow up with how important this is, that we love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And so in that verse, he talks about the importance of that. No matter what the occasion, just in the normal things of life, that God is on our lips and in our hearts. And then he goes on in verses 8 and 9, and he says this, Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. What's that all about? Well, it was so that we would remember 
And so God gave us symbols in order to remember. He gave us phylacteries, and phylacteries were leather straps that were tied around your head and had a little box. And in that box, there was a little scroll of Scripture that was the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Then they also said that we are to use the tephilim. The tephilim were leather straps that you put around your arms, and you would have either on your pulse or on the outside, depending on which Jewish uh, group you were part of, and again, a little box tied on your arm. So it would always be kind of in front of you, always a part of your actions and what you're doing, that you would love God. And that was a reminder of the Shema. And then the final one that they say there is to put it on the doorposts. And on the doorposts or lintel of their home, they would put what was called a mezuzah. And a mezuzah was another little box that would get attached to your doorpost so that every time you went in and out, you were, in essence, breathing God. Breathing God to the world around you, breathing God to the family gathered within, and that you were always remembering the Shema. Uh, the Shema. And the mezuzah, they would often touch it and then kiss their fingers and then touch it again. Jump ahead 1,500 years to Matthew's gospel, chapter 22. And Jesus was being tested. They were trying to trip him up, trying to catch him in something where he wouldn't know how to get out of it. And so they had some of the best minds of the day. They're ready to challenge Jesus. And so they uh, asked Jesus, and let me just read Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the Gospel of Mark in 1230 also adds, with all your strength. Wanting to impart to us the importance that this is a whole investment. It's not just a thought over here. It's not just a file cabinet with a file folder in it. This is the way you live your lives. It's a lifestyle in our God. And so Jesus quotes the Shema and says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he goes beyond that and says, Love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, how? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. This was important. Uh, There's an author who was a former professor at our Covenant College in Biblical Studies, and he wrote a book called The Jesus Creed. And the Jesus Creed, this passage out of Matthew 22 that we call the Great Commandment, he takes that and says that's a Jesus Creed. The Shema was just the first part about loving God. But Jesus adds to it a text out of Leviticus 19 where he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that becomes the new creed, the new law, the new standard that we are to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. If Jesus says this is most important, this is the greatest command, then maybe we ought to pause, to just pause a moment and ask, How am I doing at this? How are you doing at this? What's it even mean to do this, to love God? How? How do I love God? Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like it might be tough to accomplish. Sounds like I have to, or, or I ought to, or I should. 
I look back over my life and I confess that it's been a mixed bag at times. This loving God's thing. And you might think, oh, as a pastor, you got this all down. You got this one in spades, you know. No. I'm human first. I became a pastor later. Honest. You know, and sometimes I feel like I've done pretty well at this. I've got this under control. This is going pretty good. I I feel that I really loved him, that I appreciated him, that that I'm thankful to God, that I've had my quiet times with God. I've been obedient to his teachings. I I love my neighbors, and I even try to love my enemies now and then. And and sometimes I've done pretty good at that. But sometimes I've done rather miserably. I've tried to do it on my own, you see. I figured God could take a holiday. He needs a rest once in a while from managing my life. And and so I can do this. God, I got it. It's under control. And I find that I have not done and I'm not doing those things that I just listed. And I find myself in kind of this cycle of putting in an effort to love God, only to fail at it, then to feel terribly guilty, only to do more effort and to fail again. And and it becomes a vicious cycle. Does this sound like your life? Part of it is that I'm commanded to love God. Well, how's that work exactly? I mean, when I fell in love, one of the things that made it so special was when she responded back in love. When I asked her to marry me, you know, it felt so good when she said yes because she loved me. Now, she didn't say that the first time, so it didn't feel so good but I'm a persistent little critter. (laughs) And then I think there's not a day that goes by that I don't think about her, that I don't realize how blessed I am to be loved, to be loved by another person. She chooses to love me. I don't know if you recall, this is an old, old movie, so I'm dating myself, back with Fred Flintstone and Barney Rubble. And this uh, show, this movie was called The Stepford Wives, and it was a story of a little town in Connecticut that was basically full of gorgeous female gynoids or fembots, and uh, whatever contemporary term you want to use, politically correct, I hope, that would do the bidding of their masters, of their men. And they would do anything and everything to make their husbands happy, anything they asked. And these contented men sat around bragging about their wives and how good they had it. Folks, I'm here to tell you, it's an ugly, ugly fairy tale. While most of us might like to visit Stepford for a day or two, most of us would not want to live there. Why? Because these men's deepest need, and each of us, our deepest need, is to be loved is to be loved, and these women were incapable of that. It's the core longing of every human being. Moses commanded us to love God. How? How do we do that? Is that why we love God? Is because we're commanded? Because he tells us to? And if not, why do we love God? And that's what I want to explore for a few moments. I want you to turn to your text In 1 John, in your Bibles, 1 John, we'll be looking at chapters 3 and 4, so you can just put your finger there. 
why is it that we love God? It's because God is love. Verse 16. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him or her. A succinct definition of God is that he is love. He's the epitome. He's the breadth. He's the depth of love. That he just plain is love. It's his nature. It's his essence. And how does God show us his love? (laughs) Wow. Look at verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He sent his one and only son. He gave the ultimate sacrifice that a parent could possibly give. Notice, it's not God is loving. It's God is love. Love, being an action word as we studied in this series, God is lovingly active. That's just his nature. And John's definition is much more profound by saying God is love. How does God show us his love? Through his son. If you need more information on that, get last week's CD. I love God. He's been incredibly faithful to me. And despite my times of wavering faithfulness for him, God continues to faithfully love me. God has given me wonderful relationships in my life that help me see glimpses of him, of his love, of his nature. My wife, my kids, my grandkids, my friends, you, my church family. God has forgiven me amazingly and faithfully, and I need it and need that. I love the universe that God has created. It's beauty It's majesty. It's truly incomprehensible vastness. It's elegance. I love Jesus for how he treated people and shows me how I'm supposed to treat people. How he treated women. How he treated children. How he treated the poor, the unlovely, the unlovable, the disenfranchised. How he treated the marginalized and the untouchables of his culture. I love Jesus for leaving heaven so that we could know who God is, personally, deeply, wonderfully, loverly, one of my grandkids' words. I'm grateful that one day my struggles with my own sin and with the world's brokenness, it'll be all over. We will see God face to face, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13. I love for God for wanting me, wanting me to be there with him for all of eternity. That's quite a concept to wrap yourself around. And I could go on and on. But what would you write? Why do you love God? And how do you love him? It takes us to the deepest truth that I think John wants to share with us. In verse 10, he says, 
This is love, not that we loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then down in verse 19, he says, we love because he first loved us. Do you know what that means? That he first loved us? It's just so profound to think about that. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. How great is the love of the Father, of God, that he has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are. That's who we are. We're the children of God created by him to be in relationship with him. Okay, I need a volunteer. Somebody volunteer to come up here? Cowards. Come on, when have I ever hurt you? Good. Come on up. Weren't you our dead Samaritan too? <laughs> that wasn't the Samaritan that was dead. <clears throat> okay. Do you? Yeah. Well, you know, I love you, Wayne. Thank you. I, I love you. In fact, I really love you. But you know, this verse doesn't say that God loved us or that he really loves us. It says he lavished us with his love. He lavished us with his love. Okay, you can have those and share them with people uh, if you love one another or whatever. God lavishly loves us. Lavish is giving all that you have. God doesn't parcel it out in dribs and drabs. God constantly overflows, effervesces his love over us. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us and he loved us more than you could possibly imagine or put into words or explain or define. And why do we love God? Because he first loved us. He first made it possible through the death of his son that we could come back into relationship with him as our creator. We receive God's love first. And this is so important, but it's also so hard for us humans to grasp. How? How do we do this? Recall the story of the prodigal son that I've alluded to in the last few weeks. Being welcomed back by a loving father. A father that was waiting for his return as God waits for our return to him. Waiting, waiting. And he gets welcomed back by a loving father's lavish embrace and celebration of his return. It's like my kids, my grandkids saying, I love you, daddy, or, or I love you, grandpa, for the first time. Do they do that automatically? Is that just in their repertoire of first phrases? No. They heard me say it to them time and again to whisper in their ear, I love you. And someday came the moment when they said, I love you back. I would say, I love you, DJ. It's my daughter. And I love you, Doug, my son. And I love you, Elias my grandson, and I, I love you, Gracie, my granddaughter, Izzy, I love you, my other granddaughter, and then my third and final granddaughter, Annika, Annika, I love you. 
And they love me because I first loved them. And so it is with God. We love him because he first loves us. He longs for us to receive his love. So the starting point is not our trying to love him. It is realizing that we are lovable to him. That we are lovable to him. That we are precious to him. We are worth and worthy of his love because he's chosen to love us. A practice that I do is to get up in the morning and before my feet hit the floor to simply say, God, I love you. What do you want me to do for you today? I love you, God. That practice really birthed this whole series of love dares. I began to explore the scriptures of how it is that I could love God more because that was a commitment I made several years ago to love God more. And that practice is what gave roots and wings to these texts that I've been sharing the last few weeks. And I commend the practice to you because I know it will change your life. I know it because I've experienced it. And you might have expected a try-harder sermon when you saw that we are to love God, uh, that we're somehow supposed to do more, to be better. What I believe John is saying is that if you experience being loved by God, your love for God, your obedience of His will, just flows out of that. Don and I are using Sarah Little's book, called Jesus Calling, and I know many of you are using this also. I commend this to you. What Sarah has done is taken Scripture verses and a little bit of her own commentary of those verses and put it in the first person so it sounds like Jesus is talking right to you. And that's pretty awesome to have Jesus talk directly to you. But in her book, she uses a phrase over and over and over again, not quite every day, but the vast majority of them. Expressions like, in my presence. So God is inviting you to be in his presence. He's saying that to you. Be in my presence. Or my continual presence. Or the light of my presence. And that word presence is a theme, a thread that runs throughout the entire book, as it is throughout the entire scriptures. And folks, that's where you love God. When you are in his loving presence. Jesus said, abide in my love. And like the prodigal son in chapter 15, verse 17 of Luke, it says, he came to his senses. And that's what we have to do. Each one of us, accountable only for ourselves, not for the person sitting next to us, of coming to our senses and realizing how much God loves us. I had the privilege of leading one of my youth coaches to Jesus Christ. He was a man about 55 years old, working with our youth for uh, about a year, year and a half. And I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. He had never made that choice, never made that decision for himself. And then of baptizing him. And I'll never forget his first witness as he was being baptized. I asked him to share a word with the congregation. I would have asked Jack, but... He said, I had no idea how much God loved me. No idea! how much God loved me. And then he followed it up by saying, I can't believe how long he waited for me to come to my senses. Folks, he's waiting for you. God has lavished his love on you. 
We love God because he first loved us. And the question is, do you love God? Do you? He loves you. He always has. He always will. So I want to close. Oh, I guess I'm supposed to close. <laughs> and I want to share um, these verses out of 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from this viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever does not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the truth, the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For everyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he hasn't. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother and sister. I invite you to stand. And we're going to say the words, and they'll be on the screen there. The Apostles' Creed, a summary of our basic core values as a Christian church universal, the body of Christ. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. 
He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.